Hello, everybody. Tom Holtz here, coming to you from South Florida for the March edition of the American Society of Public Administration podcast, or ASPA, as we call it. We hope you've been doing okay since our last presentation with Dr. Patterson, uh, and we thank her again for her help with Black History Month. And today we have a very, very special guest star, uh, but before, and he's smiling already at the thought of it, uh, but before we proceed, I want to introduce our other two co-hosts on here. First of all, Isidoro Lopez, a president of the board of directors of ASPA South Florida. Izzy, please say hello. Hi, everyone out there. Welcome to our third installment, I believe, of, of the year. Uh, Tom, you're doing a phenomenal job. We've had great speakers. And Dr. Paul Markham, uh, welcome, a warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you for agreeing to uh, be on our podcast and push some much-needed value for public administration. To anyone listening out there, please visit our site at aspasouthflorida.org. And join our organization. We are trying to promote good public administration. Some of you may have been part of our best practices conference. And we have another virtual event coming up for Women's History Month in March. Please visit our site. Uh, as always, uh, we are here to help and guide and be as inclusive as we possibly can be. So I leave you in good hands here with Tom, Ben, and again, Mr. Dr. Paul Markham, thank you once again for being here with us. Thank you very much, Izzy. Much appreciated. And the other uh, guest co-host that we have, uh, well, he's always a guest, but he's a co-host, Ben Paley, Benjamin Paley, uh, who is back again to regale us. He is a second-year law student at NOVA, uh, Southeastern University of Florida. He, uh, I've asked him not to use the Socratic method uh, during uh, during our uh, during our little interview here, uh, and uh, I'm sure he can. Uh, I'm sure he can uh, uh, decide to compromise with us. Hi, Ben. How you doing? Hi, Tom. Hi, Dr. Markham, and hi, um, Izzy. It's good to be here today. I'm happy to be back, um, co-hosting this uh, with Tom and with Izzy. Um, I'm looking forward to a wonderful conversation with Dr. Markham. Um, I spoke with him before. Uh, this podcast for a few moments, and I can tell you that he is a fantastic person, uh, just from the brief conversation that we had, and I'm, I'm really excited uh, to see what, what wonderful topics we're going to get into. And with that, Tom, I, I give it back to you. Thank you very much, Ben. And by the way, the check is in the mail. Uh, so with that being said, our, our special guest today, Dr. Paul Markham, um, and he comes from Australia, by the way, straight out of the University of Newcastle, uh, originally Sydney, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong. So uh, when you hear the Australian accent talking about the Barbie and everything else, it's, uh, you see, I've been practicing your accent a bit, uh, Dr. Markham, but seriously, I do that imitation as a serious form of flattery. And uh, I want to thank you. Dr. Markham is full professor of business at North Central University. Uh, where I'm going, in fact, for my doctoral studies, and uh, also um, also a professor at uh, Marquette, I believe, and he's going to go into that background a little more. Welcome, Dr. Markham. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tom, and uh, I really appreciate you trying to 
uh, mimic an Australian accent. And frankly, I think I give you a six out of 10. Uh, wow. Sounded like uh, Cockney to me. Um, I'm getting there. The reality is that us uh, people around the world, we're very well trained by the Brady Bunch and others on how to do an American accent. <laughs> Australian is a very difficult accent, I can tell you, because it's not English, it's not South African, it's kind of a little bit in between. It's, you know, it's uh, sort of like the difference between you know, New Jersey and let's just say Pennsylvania. They're, they're different. But uh, sometimes people can't pick it. Anyway, thank you. Well, thank you. And I'm glad my Cockney accent at least is prepared. So yep. all I got to do is work on the other one. And the more I listen to you, I think the more I'll be able to pick it up. Uh, in, in any event, um, we're here to discuss two things today for the audience. One is uh, Dr. Markham's background uh, in very brief uh, and uh, how he came to be where he is today, uh, which is an expert in marketing. He's had his own, he's had his own uh, business ventures and uh, he teaches uh, and is a dissertation chair at North Central University. Uh, and the other part of this is going to be one of his special interests, which is artificial intelligence or AI. And um, which is, very, very high and hot in the private sector, and how this can be translated for use in the public sector, which is, and, and we're going to give one example of that when we get to that, which is already very, very, very topical. But first, Dr. Markham, um, tell us a little bit about why and how you decided uh, to, to be a DBA, and especially uh, your emphasis actually was in health, which is something I share with you uh, from my uh, professional disciplinary background with the New York State Medical Board. So how did you, how did you get into this? Yeah, and uh, as I said to these guys, for anyone listening before the call, uh, I'm an unorthodox person for this call. I'm not in public administration. I'd say as far from that as you could possibly imagine. Not to say I haven't worked with public administration. Look, at the end of the day, um, I'm a musician. <laughs> yes, I was in a rock and roll band a long time ago now. We played, we played back up for another little group called ACDC. And essentially, uh, back in those days, we were, we were going to take on the world, right? We were, it was all going to happen. Uh, so let's just say in the 70s, uh, the other guys in the band decided there was other recreational things to do we'll leave it at that and I had a passion for it so I thought I'm, I'm going to go off and do something that's easy enough to do while I wait for the band to take off right so I went and did electronics engineering which I love dearly and became an electronics engineer research and design this is back in the days we were doing uh, analog digital electronics I'll move quickly Tom I just you've got to sort of give you the background of where this all comes from I, then decided I, I lived in a, a city uh, very expensive real estate and engineers, believe it or not, back then, we didn't get paid much money. We did it for the love and the mathematics. So anyway, I ended up uh, finding out there's two ways to make money so I can buy a house, essentially. Um, and that was either the people that make the money or the people that count the money. So I ended up, you know, doing the whole uh, MBA thing, got involved in a global multinational uh, sales marketing. Uh, I thought, how easy could that be? I'm an engineer, so I'm smart. Okay, so... That stuff's easy. And I found out that was an incredibly uh, naive perspective. But anyway, I got into that business and I worked for a multinational company. And just before I came here, I found out something about myself that was very interesting. 
I have a personality um, that's called Blink. Okay, you can read there's a book on it by Gladwell, and it's a person that it's not an intelligence thing, guys. It, it's actually it's it's somebody that sees the future before other people do, or or it's uh-huh. somebody that talks to me about something. I see the end point, which is both a blessing and a curse. But anyway, yes. so I ended up in the United States with a large multinational corporation. I'd rather not mention them. But we did uh, 28 acquisitions and got to put together what you call the global master brand for uh, healthcare. We were building a personalized predictive healthcare system. I kid you not. In the middle of all that, I became absolutely entrenched in United States data analytics for healthcare. And I became very um, angry is the only word I could say about the, the loss of life in this country, still going on today, unfortunately, just not reported much. And that is between 250,000, 350,000, with something called iatrogenic death. That's basically when we mess up in healthcare. So I decided I wanted to write a doctorate related to uh, healthcare here and how uh, technology can drive adoption. But what sort of leadership we need to make that happen? because healthcare is a very autocratic leadership style. To cut a long story short, I ended up in the United States. Um, I, I then wrote this doctorate uh, around the whole of the United States, came out with some incredible findings, believe me. Uh, we can talk about that some other day. Um, yes. But that kind of led me into, all of a sudden I realized I woke up one day and I thought, I wonder why I'm always talking about genomics and blockchain and cryptocurrency. It's because... I'm always looking at the end point. Uh, no, I'm not a billionaire off the stock market, but I definitely see things before other people. So that's why I was involved in lots and lots of what you call uh, futuristic type things like social robots, uh, deep learning, artificial intelligence. I, was in, I've, I am involved right now with a couple of projects. One is like a digital doctor and another one is a cardiac digital twin. That's gonna, it's going to change healthcare uh, in the most dramatic way you could ever imagine. Because just my closing point on healthcare, we're not even doing healthcare yet. We're doing sick care. So very reactive. There's no predictive. But I ended up then, honestly, Tom, somebody called me and said, hey, do you want to teach a class? And I said, yeah, I don't teach. I'm not a teacher. But I ended up getting some undergrad kids a, a job. And I thought, wow, this is kind of powerful. And my old university from Australia called me and said, hey, the one that I did my doctorate with, which is the British system, it's not easy, believe me. But anyway, they said, hey, we need to grow our university. We're going to start doing uh, advanced online learning into China. So we grew the business from 9,000 students to 40,000. And we did what we call face-to-face plus, right? So we figured out how to tape record the actual uh, lessons. But not only that, use some advanced technologies in flipped classroom and so forth. So I'm now a member of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, it's the international division for education. So these are what we call dynamic pedagogical perspectives. So if Tom looks at the screen, not in the future now, we could do it. And just say he winces, that's going to change the look of the assignment for him to do on screen. It's going to be a very different world, all of it related to personalized everything, because that's what artificial intelligence is actually doing whether anyone realizes it or not it's happening sorry that's long (laughs) that's a very no no that's fine and that's a very interesting assessment and what it tells us is is the renaissance man Uh, and so that being said 
I'm uh, I, I, I would I want to focus uh, you, you, now one of the now one of the things and we look at uh, best practices in academic administration in academic research and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, how do you? So I just want to briefly touch upon now. You you started to talk about how AI could be used to advance education. Now that doesn't just apply to nonprofits and privates. That could that could also apply to public universities. Oh, yeah. And 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 I think that that's and, and that's where I think that the focus and the tone of this interview uh, needs to needs to coalesce. Uh, the cooperation, I posit this to you, that the cooperation, and we talked about this before, that, that future cooperation between private and public sector, which is uh, something, some people would say that, as Shakespeare said, it's devoutly to be wished. But if that, if, if that starts to occur, and it has already occurred, uh, and we're going to talk about that, but uh, we discussed an example. But if this occurs, uh, and as we start to find out ways in which private and public can cooperate with each other in bringing AI on board, we're going to go a long way. Um, can you uh, can you can you briefly touch more on? You started to talk about it. Can you briefly touch more about how AI can improve educational delivery, especially from the online educational standpoint, which is where we're going now? Sure, Tom. Look, do you mind if I just do a little bit of a definition up front? Because please, uh, what us marketing people love to do to the general public. Everybody thinks, right, they think marketing, oh, it's websites and social media. Um, Marketing is about psychology and deep into psychology. If only people realize the engines, the artificial intelligence engines, they're up against. I mean, there's no way you're going to win against the the ad platforms of Facebook and Google. You can't do it. They're, They're such advanced engines. But let's talk about what is AI. And I think what people hear... Uh, both in public administration, private administration, they go, oh, AI, oh, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. It's like, so, so let's talk about what is it. Um, if I said to you, Tom, uh, have you ever used Excel? You know, the, the spreadsheet. Sure. Okay, if I said to you uh, the addition of sum or average or any of that, that's artificial intelligence. The reason I say this to you is that uh, people have got to start um, understanding and self-educating. I don't care where they are, are in the world. Artificial intelligence is not some daunting uh, situation. It really isn't. It's, it's an add-on, if you like. People, marketing people, we use uh, words to basically uh, generate behavior, okay? You've heard cloud technologies, okay? We've been using the equivalent of cloud in technology forever, Right? We just call it application service provider. And some marketing guys got together and said, hey, let's call it in the cloud. And then everyone says, oh, my God, are you cloud enabled? So let's get back to AI. So AI is an interesting one. It's, it's here for one reason only. It's here for efficiency. Now, you might say, wait on, has it, we've done that before. If you think about the international harvester, the reason we've got seven and a half billion people is because we can actually generate more food. Why? It's not artificial intelligence, but it really is taking a manual job and turning it into automation, okay? Mm-hmm, We've been mm-hmm. doing this stuff, Tom, forever, and you don't have to look too far. 
okay, to think about what do we do with this artificial intelligence? So let's talk about the manual artificial intelligence, which is this idea of I'm in Excel and I go click like that, but then I take it to a little bit more automated and I set up a macro. I'm being silly about this, but not really. I mean, you've got to stop thinking, I don't want to know about artificial intelligence. If you understand the basics of what that does and then think of how you could apply that to anything, then you're in a good place. Now, let's, let's move a little bit further. Then we started to figure out, um, I'll use an analogy, FBI database. I'm just, these are rough analogies. So if there's a, if there's a software engineer on, on board saying, well, it's not a direct analogy. I think for this audience, I'm using analogies that I think will make sense. That's FBI fine. database, right? I go out and put my thumb there. What it does, it goes out and checks if any other thumbprints like mine are there. That's actually a form of what we call the, the first iteration into what I call real artificial intelligence as we think about today's machine learning, okay? Mm -hmm. Then let's make the machine learning, right? Which let's just say I see a heart rhythm, right? Then when I see that heart rhythm, that artificial intelligence will tell me, oh my God, Tom's about to have a heart attack. Or, hmm, here's an idea. What about if I'm researching the National Library of Medicine or Department of Defense or... You see where I'm going with this? We can yes. use the same machine intelligence with things like natural uh, language processing, NLP, but we can move beyond that, right? So let's just call that little baby steps. You know, in mathematical world, we've got the macros of Excel. There is one little jump in between called Bayesian. It's the whole idea of using Bayesian probability. Not too hard, but again, that's artificial intelligence. Then we move into machine learning. We take it up a notch right, with convolutions, and we call it deep learning, but it's really just an upgrade of machine learning, because what happens at that point, Tom, it becomes a thinking system, so hang on, let's think about that, imagine if all of a sudden, I don't know, I wanted to create uh, a vaccine, oh, there's an idea, what I could do, rather than calling up Tom and 500 researchers saying, hey, we need to go and find all the papers that talked about Blah, 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 blah. No, we point our engine at it, right? With machine learning and deep learning, NLP at the front end, all of a sudden that in nanoseconds does what we could have done before, uh, you know, in months or weeks. Just think about this for uh, the Department of Defense. You know, honestly, when we think about artificial intelligence, unfortunately, people think about it oh my God, it's spaceships. And yeah, it's involved in all that. But in our Science fiction, day, sure. Yeah. But, but in our everyday life, what this is going to do is automate. It's the same as if I went to Ford Motor Company in the 1930s. There's a whole bunch of people, you know, banging the doors on all that. And then we said, hey, let's get a robot. The stuff that is put together with what you call automation plans, because I used to work on them. That's what we did electronics engineering for. That was artificial intelligence. So, I think don't be daunted by it and just understand, you know, if I was to think I love to be a Renaissance man, I think I'm a simplifier. That's what I really try to do is simplify. And I want people to embrace this rather than be frightened of it. I tell people, go and have a look at Java code and understand what is a coder, right? So same thing here, Tom. I don't know if, if I'm explaining this well enough, but the thing is that this application 
can be applied to everything. Now, I think the thing to take away from this is is for people to realize that we already have artificial intelligence in our computer lives, and they didn't realize this when you went into the Excel example, so to speak. Excel obviously is a program used in public administration, in private sector, it's, it's, it's universal. And what you're talking about here is the fancy word I'm thinking of is verisimilitude. Uh, you essentially, we already have this in our lives. We have to realize that it's there. We can't, we, we should not come to, if I'm hearing you right, yep. uh, we should not come to think of this as a, a xenophobic entity that is, uh, that is uh, permeating, threatens to permeate our consciousness and threatens to do away with uh, man versus machine control. Uh, the, 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 the science fictional concept of, the, of, the, of, of computers controlling man is not, nece- is not there because if you come to think of it, men program machines. That's the bottom line. Uh, yeah. is, is, is this part of what... Now, Ben... Uh, please jump in. Uh, this is not a no, one-sided. Was, Go ahead. I was, I was just, no, thank you, Tom. I was just going to say, I, the, one of the first things that came to my mind when you started saying how people are, people want to stay away from words, phrases like artificial intelligence they don't want to talk about, I automatically think Big Brother in 1984, because whenever I think of a term like artificial intelligence, there is, as you mentioned, this psychological association with this term that is not positive. But if we think about it in terms of every other progression that has happened throughout human history, this is quite natural. We went from being hunters, hunters and gatherers, to then settling down communities, and that was a very big step. And then we've just been kind of progressing from there. So this is one more step in the natural progression of humanity, of the human experiment, if you want to call it that. But I think there is some kind of negative association with the term. And it's like what you're saying that we have to step away from that because Mm -hmm. this already exists. Yeah. I I think here's what I'll I'll say. Uh, (laughs) There's, there's a continuum here. Okay. Mm -hmm. The continuum is, uh, you know, I've got an Excel sheet and I want to add up two numbers. Many people listening to this is going to say, Oh, that's not artificial intelligence. Well, well it is guys. And then I could go to Bayesian, which is really sorting some numbers. Then I can go to, well, machine learning. I saw that before. I'll see it again. I just want to be clear on continuum. So what I'm saying is, you know, identify what you want to do. And there there probably is artificial intelligence for it. However, okay, I'm somebody that's a a fan, uh, may shock all you people, but I'm I'm a fan of singularity. And singularity from the perspective of where man actually becomes machine in a good way, right? The idea that uh, in, in the very short term that I could actually have an eye that, that was, is a machine uh, and I can see again, that's pretty cool stuff. So there's sort of a continuum here. So I wouldn't say don't be frightened. I would say get educated, okay? So what I would be frightened about is stuff that's so soft and fluffy and we all hug it and love it, right? We all hug it and love Google and we all hug and love Facebook. And yet no one ever reads the terms and conditions. These <laughs> engines are exceptionally powerful. They're more, they're the most powerful engines on the world. Now, why am I saying that? Going back to what you said before. 
just think a bit more. Meaning if you're going to say, I don't want artificial intelligence because it's going to take my job. The reality is, uh, you know, could it? Maybe. But the reality is there's a whole bunch of other things out there that you need to be far more concerned about. Let me take you down this road. In marketing, uh, just briefly, in marketing, we used to do this thing called advertising. This is way back when. And we always said 50% of it works. We don't know which 50%, but oh, well. Now, we then got into this whole digital marketing world. This is what people think, right? Because they're not thinking harder. They think, oh, social media, that's now advertising. So the reality is what's actually going on. So social media is a thin veneer sitting on top of engines like artificial intelligence engines that have gone beyond, right? They're machine learning, deep learning, and let's just say some other learning as well, meaning they're, they're kind of a little bit how 2001 from the, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, where all of a sudden the machine has some intelligence, right? It's not, it's, it's making intelligence. So the fact is that we're living around stuff that is so powerful that rather than saying to you, Tom and Ben, uh, is it Ben? I'm sorry. It uh, is Ben. Tom yes. and Ben, hey, you know, in the early days of social media, we'd say, hey, Ben, you want that Nike. We're way smarter than that now. We've moved beyond, and this is where I have some ethical uh, issues with marketing of today. People are now you just send me emails. Yeah. Well, people are buying stuff today and they don't know they're buying it because the engines are way more powerful than your brain. But here's the issue is that if we fear that, then are we fearing it at, at our own peril? Let's just say, for instance. It's a visceral level. It's a visceral thing. I think, I think you've got to get educated. I don't mean a PhD. I'm not saying that. But the data is out there for you to educate yourself. It's whether or not you want to educate yourself. Understand that, you know, somebody said to me the other day, they were shocked, um, called me and said, oh, my God, I watched this thing on Netflix about the social dilemma, and I didn't realize every time I go to Google, uh, everybody agrees with me on Google. I mean, there's no mistake there, guys. They know you better than you know yourself now. Okay, so that's a negative side, in my humble opinion. Think about the positive side of this, guys. Seriously. Like, for instance... There's something I remember in the military, and I'm not a military guy at all. I'm not. I should respect them, but I'm not a military guy. Neither are we. Can you imagine um, the, the? I mean, we did a contract with uh, the Department of Defense once in a big company I was working for. The, the paperwork and the, the incredible administration that was involved in that. I mean, administration that was, uh, could have been streamlined and could have made everybody's job easier, but it wasn't there. So this, this concept of artificial intelligence is actually a wonderful thing. Now, from the perspective of Big Brother and all that type of stuff, um, I'd, be, I'd be looking around me and be more aware of what I'm involved in uh, on a daily basis because the most powerful engines are actually living in what we think of is is soft and fluffy right now. The money that's put into them is amazing. And I'm not trying to frighten people. I'm just telling you, be aware of what you're involved in. Somebody said to me, oh, Facebook can't you know, sell my information. And it's the same as saying, well, Robinhood can't sell the information at Citadel. And the answer is, well, yeah, they can because you sign off on it when you get involved. But let's back up a little bit and think about 
right? You're in the local government. I know nothing about this. I'm just telling you, just say you're in local government and all of a sudden uh, they've had a big hit on taxes because of this whole coronavirus thing and they're not able to have more than three people in the office. I'm just trying to think ahead here a little bit. If you could automate some of those things, those people may not be having nervous breakdowns. Critical point. Job done. I mean, not, not all of this. Yeah, I'll guarantee if you go back to the old days when there were people with a horse and, and what do you call that plow? And then someone came along and said, hey, here's an international harvester. I don't, too, I don't think too many of them said, no, no, we want to keep doing the, you know, the plow thing and breaking our back. I know I go to my local library here and there's three people there. I'm just kind of thinking about it. Because of all what's happened here, their workload's the same. So I think in a lot of ways that, you know, I think that this is a, a real positive thing. And, and I don't know if I'm explaining this. No, well. you are. But you're I, I want... of the bad side, absolutely, Ben. But if you fear that to the extent that you don't get engaged, you know, th- then it's another problem. I want to touch it because you raise a critical point. People fear what they don't understand. And that's really the lowest common denominator yep. here. Yep. So, and so I think if we look upon, if we look at it that way, and that, by the way, if uh, we could, uh, briefly said, Joanne, because you were with you were in with the rock band, um, I can tell you from the entertainment standpoint that the science fiction movies uh, from the fifties on dealt with that as a critical issue. People fear what they don't understand, whether it's aliens, whether it's uh, whether it's within themselves, which goes into horror or whether it's computers and the ways in which computers and artificial intelligence can serve us so you so your your point about education as a way of uh mollifying the immediate gut visceral uh knee-jerk reactions that people have to this is is i think the clue and that's what uh, I believe education is therefore that's one of the primary things in addition to increasing our own knowledge and learning being a lifelong experience it's to help us um, adapt ourselves to that which we don't understand and instead of fearing it well it would be great if it were embraced but the, with realities that we currently have to deal with in the real world I think a medium I think a middle ground is definitely feasible, and I think that's what we should that's what we should uh, strive for. Um, I would like to ask you. We talked about the CDC, uh, if you recall, and how they used artificial intelligence with the vaccines. Uh, could you describe that a little? Because this, to me, is a perfect example of what we're talking about—a collaboration between the federal government and the pharmaceutical industry. Could you can you talk about that a little more? So. You know, I, I think uh, the minute you talk about government, right, you, you have two camps. I'm going to answer you, Tom, but I've, I've got to give you a bit of a premise here. You have the Adam Smith camp, right, which is uh, capitalism. And then you have the Keynesian camp. I'm, I'm a, an avid economist, right? I, I'm, I love That's fine. economics. But the fact is that you, you think about government. I, I'd like to think about a large organisation. Let's just talk about it like that. And if I think back, um, you know, this whole concept of um, artificial intelligence, the concept of it, it's really just simplifying stuff, right? So if all of a sudden we go out there, now we know all about these viruses, right? 
Um, I want to I want to ask you a question in a minute about leadership before we, I don't want to lose that thought. But let's just say I answer your question. I look at uh, viruses and I look at uh, the idea of a vaccine. We know, Tom. We know the data. Okay, that's what I do for a job: data, healthcare data. Very quantitative man, by the way. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, healthcare. I'm an engineer, right? We can't help it, right? We cannot help it. That's just the way it is. And then I ended up writing a mixed method dissertation because I found out actually when I actually opened up my mind, which is very hard when you're an engineer, I found out that actually uh, qualitative mixed with quantitative is an amazing correct uh, little correct. Yes. Anyway, so let, let's think about that. We um, we look at the CDC and we we say we we hold them up in 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 our minds as these these wonderful people and look what they're doing and so forth. They're only as good as their data, and they're only as good as how they present the data. But if we then think to ourselves, um, how do we move fast? Okay, we go to the CDC and we say, hey, we need to go from ten years as the average time for a vaccine. I think the, the quickest ever was mumps for childhood. And I think maybe it was a pediatrics drove the whole thing. And that was about five years, four or five years. So how do we do that in months? And the only way you can do it is to enable companies at the time, not because government's bad. It's just that companies are very different. Adam Smith, Keynesian, right? They're over here with Adam Smith. The market is driving them. There's not a choice when you're in a company, right? There's not a choice. Hey, I wonder if we should use artificial intelligence. What happens is if all the other companies are using it for whatever they're doing, you're then out of business. You're out of business. It's not even it's not even a point. So when they look at companies and said, hey, how what are we going to do here? They used artificial intelligence to cut down the work of this down to that. So you look at that rather than thinking about Big Brother, you look at that and you go, that's not a bad idea. We don't look at it and go, oh, my God. We actually do use machine learning, deep learning, NLP engines, and you can get through a lot more stuff. I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm working on a platform right now. When you go to a doctor, this is what happens, right? It's frightening. No wonder we have 250,000, 350,000 deaths every year uh, based on bad decisions. What happens is I go to a doctor. Tom walks in. Okay. Sorry, Tom. But because of your age and so forth, i got about 10 minutes maximum to figure out what's going on. Here's what I have to do as a doctor. I kid you not, an MD. Um, I have to look at him normally with no information or maybe a bit of stuff in a chart, not much. I don't have his genetics, which is the number one factor that influences healthcare, right? Number one, but we don't talk about that. What I do, I have to in, in minutes, right, have to do... 5,000 different disease states. I have to do permutation and combination of them. Then I have to go back to him and say, you know what, Tom? I think you've got a headache. Go home. He gets home, finds out he's got a stroke. The end of the story. Now, artificial intelligence that I'm working on, we can make that call in a nanosecond. We can then come back to the doctor and say, there's an 85% chance this guy's got a headache. Have a look more. Or it could be actually further in input. We think it's a geoblastoma. Got it? See where I'm going here. So a little bit like the vaccines, but don't stop at the vaccines. If That's we- a slow-growing brain tumor, by the way, for people who don't know what a glioblastoma is. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Glioblastoma multiforme. 
which usually occurs. It's a very slow growing tumor and it can occur late in life. People can discover it literally, God forbid, weeks before they die. Uh, If it's discovered earlier, it can be taken care of. But I just want to explain the medical terminology. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. That's fine. That's fine. But but let's touch on that for a minute and let's talk about AI again. So um, without naming a, a big Texas institution, uh, they had a bunch of people with geoblastomas or brain cancer. And essentially what happens, you get down to a few days before death um, and you put your hand up and say, hey, uh, is there anything I can test out here? So these guys, um, I mean, I, I have a tear in my eye when I think about these people because they're really doing healthcare. They said, you know what? We're going to go and get polio virus. Use AI, right, to build models around a polio virus and come back with an augmented genetic polio virus that doesn't kill you anymore or put you into a cripple. What it does is it attacks geoblastomas. Now they did this, right? And they actually injected it into people that had like a day to live and and it didn't put it into remission. By the way, please, for everybody, no, this is not available. This is uh, in test and so forth. But what happened was, thanks to that ability to crunch through enormous amounts of data, it didn't go into remission, it was gone. So some of these things, the application, if, if we can harness Big Brother, let's put it to you that way, Ben, yeah. if we can harness Big Brother, you know, for goodness, it's a wonderful thing. And as far as public administration, I, don't, I think there's limitless opportunities to streamline and assist workers that what's going to happen with workers, I'm sorry to tell you this, but because of people like me and Tom, okay, I don't care which government's in, we're very expensive, right? So unless you send us down the end of the road and say, sorry, the game's up, we're expensive, right? So you're going to need more tax dollars to look after us. It's just the way it is. I'm sorry about that. So if you're going to look for more tax dollars, governments only do two things, tax and spend, right? There's going to be the ability to, you're going to have to streamline stuff. You're just going to have to, right? So I would say there's a lot of opportunities in public administration for many variants of this. This is excellent. Now, now specifically, what did the CDC do with coronavirus in terms of the vaccines? Well, they, well, the CDC is a government, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the government... Um, Centre for Disease Control. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I understand. I've been tracking these guys for years. Uh, we, we did from Australia, actually. Uh, we had great respect for them. Um, but they cannot, they cannot mobilise uh, the same resources that, you know, Pfizer and these other companies, they're multi-billion dollar R&D. So they worked with companies and they actually got back with, with data and the ability to do these vaccines very, very quickly. So I'm sorry to say, Tom, uh, the government didn't really fix it. But, the but they did work with, but they did accept the fact. The public. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what did partnerships, the, a public-private partnership. It was a partnership. Yeah. And, and, and they knew that they had to do it. It was unfortunate that the occurrence of the pandemic had to bring them together in this fashion. But yeah. it happened. And that's oh. what that's what I want to explore. How, sure. uh, how, to the best of your knowledge and recollection, how did this happen? And 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 what have they? And what have? And, and look what's gotten. Now we've got two, three vaccines, and um, potentially more in the offing. But and of course we uh, we we're not going to go into FDA and the approval process and so forth. But no, what did they do to too. partner with each other? That's important too because I deal with the FDA a, a lot. 
Um, the FDA is in a tricky position, guys. Okay. If they make a bad call, I believe me, everybody in the FDA building is going to hear about it from 340 million Americans and other people around the world. Yeah. They have made bad calls over the years. And I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying it's a tricky situation where we had this, uh, this thing out there. Uh, it was fanned the flames of you know, media and social media and all the rest of it driving, you know, you've got to do something about this. So at the end of the day, I mean, to, to be frank, what happened was there was no choice in waiting for 10 years because right. 340 million pe people, unlike, right, for, and I, I really think it was a lot to do with um, social media, fanning this, the, it's never happened before. I mean, I was here in 2010, guys, 70 million people infected, with um, H1N1, no shutdowns. Um, uh, H1N1 was different. Uh, it killed about 80,000 people, but it killed everybody, okay? It didn't have that, that sort of unique older population or diabetes and that sort of stuff, respiratory, very, very different, but nothing happened. So you've got to look, the social, uh, basically, feedback on this, there was no choice. So the government at the time, it was like, holy cow, we need to fix this now. Right. And, and unfortunately, I, I want to lead to this now, uh, Tom, I need to say this. Go ahead. Is that I'll ask you this. We're all very excited about the tools and what to do and so forth. But, you know, there's, there's an absolute failure, an unmitigated failure in global health. And this is the problem. You say this and then it becomes political. This isn't a political statement. No, there's it isn't. Problem and we want to make sure that everybody knows that. It's not a political statement. There's a problem with leadership, okay? Think about this. Um, I don't know if you guys know that the Egyptians had hospitals. They did. And they were working even way back then with malaria, okay? So we've had 5,000 years. And what is this? This is virus, I think. This is the 27th similar type coronavirus, SARS virus, uh, bird flu, uh, Hong Kong flu, whatever you want to call it. That's been a, like, we know how to do this, don't we, guys? So this idea of having to use artificial intelligence, here's what I say. Let's use it, but let's use it proactively, right? We know what's going on with all of these viruses. For instance, we know which, uh, like, coronaviruses are patented. You know, shock horror, they are. These things are created or often created by Pinbright and other labs, they create them to test them and use them. And you know, these things happen and that then creates vaccines. So it's not like we don't know about this and we don't know this stuff's happening. So the point is, if we were predictive, proactive, and with artificial intelligence, guys, we could be precise. So if this thing, I mean, how horrible that we sat here and, and this happened, and we all went, oh, my God, what do we do? We've had the okay. instance and the ability to fix this before it happened, Tom. That's all I'm getting at. And, and whichever government, it just doesn't matter. But the social media, I think, in this case, was not going to allow. It exacerbated the situation yeah. in a positive manner. And yeah. synergistically, it sounds like what you're talking about, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're talking about is the CDC was yep. in a bind. They had no choice, but it doesn't matter. They still, they allowed, they knew that private industry AI was the solution. So did they just let 
the pharmaceutical company work the AI stuff out to produce the vaccine? Or did they have any particular, uh, and of course they would monitor it, obviously, but did they have any particular input where they actually worked side by side with them in this? You know, Tom, I am honestly, I'll, I'll be frank on this. I'm not a government person, so I cannot give you the definitive answer on how did they work or how they didn't. What I'm saying is that the, um, unlike H1N1, which frankly, I remember it happening. I think we all said, hey, we don't want to get the flu. And it just came and went. And a whole bunch of people and blah, that blah. Was yeah, okay, that yeah. was size. Yeah, but, but, and this is SARS too. That's what COVID-19 is. We Correct. Don't that's that. the virus that COVID. creates COVID. Correct. See, COVID uh, is a really, um, like in marketing world, it it's kind of sounds like, you know, um, if, if I just said SARS-2, it's like, eh. if I say COVID, it sort of sounds like Godzilla virus. You know, mm. it, it's a very threatening sort of term. And, you know, somebody showed me that they were sort of, they came up and showed me this thing and they've got a, a Lysol, you know, an old Lysol bottle. And on there it says, uh, you know, kills coronavirus. And I said, that can't be the coronavirus, can it? And I said, yeah, it's like a family of viruses. So mm-hmm. I think for me, Tom, I think, look, the fact was, that there was a, I don't even know that generally government and, and private wants to work together. I think they should, but I think there was a forcing mechanism here. I'd say if H1N1 was around in 2010, I think, sorry, if uh, social media was around then and, and the drive and the drama, I think maybe the same thing would happen. Um, but to me, I don't want to see it as far as the drive and the drama. I want to see it hopefully people look at this and go, this is a wonderful thing. If we can get medical research, here's another thing. Okay. I've been involved with the FDA on what you call emergency use authorization. We, the companies, we use AI all the time to uh, not, not uh, there's an expedite doesn't mean do stuff quickly. It means using tools and engines uh, as my son says, he works on the markets, right? He, he's been involved in commodity trading. His real simple answer to me about AI engines on the commodity market, he said, Dad, we can't afford to let humans do this. And I said, why? He said, they're too, they're too slow and get this, and they've got too many biases. I mean, sorry, we've all got biases. We've we'll got anchor bias, confirmation bias. Uh, one-sided all, reference bias reference it, it goes uh, uh, validity yeah, yeah no that that goes that goes down the line yeah. my my point that i wanted to raise here is that although you're not totally familiar and you don't you know of course you're not a government person no. so you're not so you, you know so you're not totally but the point was is that there must have been some understanding, and obviously the CDC and the uh, the pharmaceutical companies worked together so that, number one, the pharmacies were allowed to do what they needed to do. Number two, uh, there was back and forth. I'm, uh, I don't think they just said, okay, you'll, we'll sleep while you do everything. Uh, there had to have been back and forth in terms of collaboration between the two. The bottom line is what should have taken 10 years, God forbid uh is now in effect after a year and that is a tremendous tremendous breakthrough and if they you... didn't cut any corners i want to say that that you know it's like when i deal with the fda they have what they call expedited emergency use authorization Correct. Yeah, yeah but you don't you don't just go there and say hey we tested over here a little bit no no but that's where the engines and the intelligence comes in it's not cutting any corners it's just that 
let's just talk about clinical research in the old days, right? Very manual, right? And you'd be out at an account, I kid you not, that it'd be all on paper and it'd be FedEx back to a central location. I'm not kidding. These clinical research organizations, they just weren't technology companies. So a lot of that stuff is actually being used to really improve society as far as I'm concerned. And I think the government and, and uh, you know, uh, companies, I, I mean, they, they should work together. At the, That's at, it. From my perspective, they really should. And I think the idea of the, the coronavirus is just an example. But to me, I, mean, example. I, I want them to work on, on things like, you know, pancreatic cancer and some really horrible things that are out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alzheimer's. Um, you know, these are things that are happening in the background, folks that are just amazing. But, but yeah, we don't even have to talk about that. If I think about public administration, just a little thing, um, you know, this is happening, okay? So, uh, yeah, the other day I was, uh, this is actually a real thing. I was in Illinois, okay? And I went out to a DMV with my daughter and they wanted to get their real IDs, okay? Now, I did a oh, bit of research. we got to do that in Florida sooner or later, yeah. But what they did they used a little bit of artificial intelligence, maybe not the big engines we're talking about, but they did. They did what we call scheduling software, which is, it, it is. And what happened was people scheduled appointments. Now, now think about this, only a small amount of information. It was, it's still artificial intelligence because man wasn't doing this, right? So my daughter and, and uh, her partner, they went to a DMV. I'm, I'm going to say this on, on, on open here. And they were in there for minutes. I'm not kidding. So do you think the people that work at DMV aren't sitting there going, wow, that's cool. So I think just generally, Tom, it doesn't have to be CDC and coronavirus and all that. That's Big excellent. That's stuff. an excellent example. You just yeah. showed you yeah. just showed how a state agency uses artificial intelligence in a very simple fashion to expedite matters. Um I want to very briefly mention the concept of smart cities uh, are based on artificial intelligence, traffic lighting. Um, It just came over the news today in England about them using artificial intelligence with scooters. I uh, emailed you the article uh, in terms of uh, pinpointing the same types of issues that normally you'd be in a car for in order to make uh, highway navigation easier. And that's another way that artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence in terms of the computers that run cars, uh, because that's what we're dealing with nowadays, can do that. Artificial intelligence is in a lot more areas of our life than we when we re, than we realize. Yep. So the so the so the takeaway from this is that the collaboration that you've mentioned at least you've cool. given two examples, and this is not a dissertation, uh, thankfully. So uh, we uh, so we don't have to go into all the win. In, uh, but the bottom line is that these are only a small fraction of the examples and the potential for collaboration between government and private sector and nonprofits as well. Let's not forget about them uh, in terms of artificial intelligence is definitely there. Before we go, doctor, uh, I wanted to ask you, and again, this is in terms of academic best practice. I wanted to give the audience and especially the students that are listening here, and we do have an audience of students as well as public sector professionals. Uh, The you are, uh, as I say, a dissertation chair. I want you to give an idea, if you will, of the job 
that you have to do, which is uh, which is a lot more, which is very labor intensive, as I see it, from my uh, little knowledge of it. Uh, you having between twenty to twenty five uh, students yourself uh, to deal with. Give give us an idea of what that job is like, and uh, in your view. Uh, how to conduct that job with a view to best practice in uh, in administering it? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be brief. Um, yes. Poor old uh, education is, um, I think, it's further behind than uh, healthcare. Uh, if I think about the job, the uh, I need to be careful that the technologies are antiquated from where they could be. If I think about, for instance, um, and it's available and it could be done today. If I think about an NLP engine, uh, I could run that on, a, on I could have that uh, pre-programmed Paul Markham pre-programmed. Remember artificial intelligence. It's all about me because we are building these days, right? You don't know, but we're building based on the individual. It's called business to individual. We're, not, we're no longer building for a cohort of you know, 50 to 60 year old males, right? You may not realize that, but that's what the ad platforms are doing. Now, in my job, it's an exceptionally manual process, right? Totally, all of it could be automated overnight. I could have wow. what you call wizard engines. Uh, I'm sorry to say this, but it's much better to have an engine grade you than me. Why? Wow. Because I have some subjectivity, even in rubrics. I'll give you an example. Right now, I'm in the, involved in building a platform, this is a real thing, uh, to test medical students, right? Medical students go through their life and they have something called an, uh, an OSCE test, which is a test that happens where they, they've got to go and actually identify a patient, do an exam on a patient, and then actually report on the patient. Right. So we have an engine that actually tests them and gives them objective feedback. We have rubrics in academia, uh, but frankly, um, I don't think that they're used well enough. And you could even ask yourself, uh, are they are we intelligent enough to pick up nuances that artificial intelligence would pick up? The answer is not really, right? Because so you need AI paper, in academe. You need yeah, AI in academe. Yeah, you, we absolutely need it. Uh, can I just give you my last example, then we'll let everybody go. Please. So I went to a conference. Um, I don't want to name it, but you can imagine it's about artificial intelligence. We went to this conference and all the big schools around the world are up. And again, I won't mention them, but let's just say very large names. They're all up there talking about their, you know, where, what they're going to do in artificial intelligence and education. And I'm just so jazzed about it, right? Um, because I've been involved in it in what I would call manual plus, you know, where you've got flipped classrooms, where I do a video, for instance, and it's not a video, it becomes an exam, right? Because it has little questions along the way. That's artificial hmm. intelligence, but... Here's something just to leave you with. Everybody's up there saying, well, in the future, right, you're going to look into your thing and it's going to find your facial recognition and then it's going to, it's going to be your pedagogy. Facial your recognition software. And all that stuff. Gamification of education. The other thing too, what we found out about this conference was all the big schools got up there and talked about what we're going to do. And then one school... Um, let's just say it's in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, they got up there and said, okay, thanks guys, right from around the world. Here's what we are doing. And I, I witnessed something <laughs> so 
Yes. <laughs> I witnessed something that was so incredible. I can only tell you that the problem with education has always been that there's one size fits all. It has to be personalized the same as everything else. So here's what happened is that they had a, a student there with uh, lots of biograph uh, biometric sensors on and the student was known by the machine. Okay. So don't think about Big Brother in a bad way here, Ben. Big Brother in a good way. Because Big Brother knows what you need to be educated. He knows yeah. that you don't read in an F pattern. You read from the top right to the other. And no one else does that. They also know that when you get that multiple choice question, you go like that. It's not that dramatic. But it's picking up the slightest little changes in facial, in blood pressure. They use some stuff from the old days of, you know, uh, truth detectors. You remember the cops had those things. They they do lie detector tests. What we're seeing on screen is they're Polygraphs. looking to the screen and the pedagogy and the assignment changes. And in the back end, right, it's auto grading. Okay, there's a, there's an overview at this point on it, but man, the engines are going to be way smarter than the academics in the future. Now you might think, well, that's going to get rid of all the academics. No, it's not. What's going to happen is the academics are going to be able to work on, right, improving the machines to the next level. So I'm not sure if I, I went on a bit too far. No, that's no, no, fine. No, that was, that I'm, was just, perfect. I'm just going to actually, uh, before I end this, uh, and down the line 10 years, and I read this, uh, they are actually, this is, the technology is 10 years away, but, we're, but uh, neurological implants in the brain in order to facilitate the uh, learning process and uh, actual uh, input from between the between AI in the computer yep. and the uh, and 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 you're nodding your head. You know what the, you you've heard of it. That's and, singularity. That's what I said before. Look and, up. Okay, so the, so we're on the same page. Yep. Uh, I didn't know the name of it, but there are organizations. I know the company. I've I've, I've read about That's the company what? doing it right now. Yep. Uh, some gal at the uh, at, at its head, and uh, and and it is and and it is ten years away, but it's there and it's being worked on. Doctor, I want to thank you very much for a very enlightening and elucidative discussion. Uh, and uh, you've covered a lot of ground here, and it's something for people to think about. I hope for those of you that are listening to the first half of the podcast and saying. Oh boy, I don't have time to listen to the rest of this. I'm going to ask them. I should have done this at the beginning, but uh, but I hope you're still with us uh, because this was a fascinating foray into the uh, into what can be done. And as when and actually, he mentioned an example, a couple of a few examples of what is being done now for artificial intelligence in the public sector. Ben, do you have anything you wanted to say before we close? I, I just wanted to add to the the element of the just sheer importance of artificial intelligence and the fact that we don't need to be afraid of it. The reason I brought up Big Brother, not to bring that up again, is just because that's the common image people have. And that was the thing I think people will exactly. most attach to. Exactly. Uh, but I, I agree. I think there there are the positivities, the, the, the pros outweigh the cons on this thing. Um, I I think it's very important. I think there are still things we need to be weary of, but it's, it's a thing that, that is going to have more benefits. I mean, I was thinking not to take over the conversation here, but I was just thinking at a government level, 
mm. in Israel, they partnered with Pfizer to do a clinical study yep. countrywide yep. with the vaccines. And they partnered with the government, the, the Israeli government is Excellent like example. us. It's got great centralized government. Yep. And they took data from all the clinics that were partnering with the government and they gave it to Pfizer so that Pfizer could do this case That's study cool. that has proven to the world basically that this thing works. What we have works. It has a, a great rate and it's going to save a lot of lives. And, and that case study, which I think just recently came out, is is going to show everyone else around the world that this can work. And that's the kind of partnerships that we need where they're using this data in a, a way that benefits everybody. And that's just my two cents on the issue to go, go along with what Dr. Markham was brilliantly talking about throughout this entire podcast. Ben, I don't want to embarrass you, but consider a specialization in health law when you get out, because uh, you're obviously cognizant of uh, areas outside of the traditional law school education, which is commendable. Doctor, once again, I want to thank you very much for your participation here. And this is one Tom Holtz. We're going to sign off now. We thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to this all the way. And we'll be back uh, in uh, April. Uh, and we're, uh, I don't want to say anything yet, but we're, but we're on the, we're trying to get a very special guest host on board, which we know you will enjoy. I'm going to leave you with that tantalizing thought. Thanks again and have a great afternoon, morning, or evening, wherever you are. Thank you. Bye bye. See you, Ben. See you, Tom. Okay.